when times get tough, when the situation is uncertain, where do you go for answers? And what do you do for comfort? Some look to themselves. They adopt the bootstrap mentality. They pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they, they attempt to, to work out the problem in their own strength. They rely upon their own wisdom for answers and their own strength for comfort. Some rely on, on others, friends and family for support, for courage and comfort and strength. Others call upon the experts. Depending upon the problem, depends upon the expert they call upon. If it's a medical problem, they look to the medical professionals. If it's a financial issue, a financial specialist, spiritual problem, maybe a, a, a pastor or church leader or other religious leader. And while it is not bad all the time to uh, use the God-given wisdom and strength that the Lord has blessed us with and rely upon friends and family, especially our church family and, and medical professionals and Christian leaders. When times get tough, where are God's people to go first? What should be our first response when difficulties come? Well, we learned that lesson from the prophet Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. For those of you who were not here with us last week and didn't mark your spot, Habakkuk's a hard book to find. It is in there. The last 12 books of the Old Testament are the minor prophet books, and Habakkuk is number 8 in the minor prophets section. Uh, if you can find it that way, good. You can also look at your table of contents don't be too proud to do that. Or just land in Zechariah, the biggest book in the Minor Prophets section. And just start flipping backwards and eventually you'll land in the small book of Habakkuk. We said last time that Habakkuk was a prophet to the southern Jews. Remember those of you that are up on your Old Testament, you remember that the Jewish kingdom was divided at this time in two between the northern and southern kingdoms. Both kingdoms struggled with sin. So God sends prophets to both to warn them, neither heed the words of the prophets' warnings. Some kings do okay in the southern kingdom, but for the most part, they don't, and both kingdoms fall. The northern kingdom falls first to the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom falls next to the Babylonians. Habakkuk was a prophet to the Jews in the south before their fall. And the strange thing about the book of Habakkuk in comparison to the other prophecy books is that instead of the prophet speaking to God's people on God's behalf in Habakkuk, you have the prophet speaking to God on his people's behalf. Okay, So you've got this very unique dialogue going on between Habakkuk and God in this book. We said last week things were not going well for this prophet and for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. They're struggling with sin. There doesn't seem to be any end in sight. The prophet explains that God's people are living as if the, the law of God is paralyzed. 
God had given his people laws to live by. They were living as if there were no laws. People were sinning against God, sinning against one another. And that leads the prophet to cry out to God. So, so notice, we learn at the very beginning of this book where Habakkuk goes when times get tough and when the situation seems uncertain, he goes before the Lord. And that is always the right response, isn't it? What does he do and what does he say when he goes before the Lord? Well, he cries out to God. He says, how long, O Lord? How long are you going to put up with us? Why are you allowing your people to continue in sin? Why have you not responded? Why are you standing idly by looking on while your people continue to sin against you? Why are you allowing this wickedness to go unpunished? He speaks very openly and honestly with God. We talked about that last week, that we can do that. And we learned last week in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, that God does not remain silent. He responds to his prophet. He lets him know that he is going to act. He is going to bring judgment down on his people, and he is going to use the wicked Babylonians as his instruments of judgment. God tells Habakkuk, I am going to use this wicked, godless, fierce and powerful, heartless, unpitying, arrogant and prideful nation to punish my people. Well, how do you think Habakkuk responded to that news? Not very well. He was more disturbed by that answer than he was initially with God's inactivity when it came to the sinfulness of his own people. And so what does Habakkuk do next? This news is unsettling to Habakkuk. Things are not going well for him. He's troubled and confused by this news. Where does he go? What does he do next? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Habakkuk provides for us a wonderful example of how the faithful are to respond when times get rough, when the storms come rolling in, and there's nothing more practical than that. There are several things we learn from Habakkuk. First, we learn that when times get rough, we are to go to the Lord. We are to go to the Lord. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. The prophet says, O Lord, one of the first words the prophet speaks is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the sacred name of God there. When you see capital L, little O-R-D, that's Adonai. God's name, but the sacred name of God is being used here, Yahweh. When times were rough, when the situation was uncertain, the prophet Habakkuk did not go first to friends or family, the righteous people of God, his fellow prophets, the professionals of the day. His first response was to cry out to the one true and living God. It was God who said to his prophet Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you. I will make hidden things known to you. And we see that illustration in the book of Habakkuk. And what I love about Habakkuk is that we do not simply learn that we're to go to the Lord when times get tough, but we learn what we can bring to him when we go to him. Notice the prophet brings some very difficult questions. Not for God, obviously. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Amen. But for, for God's man. 
For God's prophet, these are difficult questions. He first asks, how long are you going to delay? Why are you not responding to the wickedness of your people? And when God responds that he is going to bring judgment by way of the wicked Babylonians, Habakkuk then asks him the difficult question of how he, a holy and righteous God, can use such a wicked and unholy instrument for his purposes. Tough question. Again, not for God, but for this man of God. So we learn here at the beginning from this faithful prophet that when times get tough, our first response is not to trust in our own wisdom, rely upon our own strength or the wisdom and strength of others, but our first response is to hit our knees. Our response is to go to the Lord. Our response is to bring our difficult questions before him and look to him for answers. And where do God's people go for answers today, believers? In his word. In his word. There are so many in our churches today who, while they may be spending regular time talking with God, it's a one-way conversation. They're not allowing him to speak through his word in the conversations I've had with believers over the years. I've had a lot more people tell me this is what God said to me through my circumstances or through a still small voice in my quiet time alone with him and too little of this is what God has shown me through my study of his word. This is what he spoke to me while I was reading Genesis, Isaiah, Habakkuk, John, Romans, Hebrews, and so on. Listen, you want to hear from God? Read his word. You want to hear him speak out loud? Read his word out loud. Amen? Maybe you're here this morning and you're having a tough time in your life. Maybe you're wrestling with a, a major decision you have to make or, or the storms of this life have rolled in on you and you're wanting answers. Your circumstances are unclear. How have you responded? Has your response been like the prophet? Have you said, Lord, Lord? Has that been the first words out of your mouth? Good news is it's not too late to respond in this way today. Take time this week to spend time alone with him. Bring your difficult questions before him and search the scriptures for answers. And let me warn you that the answers you receive may not be what you're wanting, but they're what you need. You need to be prepared for that. We learn that from Habakkuk as well. At times, God does not give us the answer we want, but he always gives us the answer we need. And at times, he doesn't give us the answer to the question we're asking. At times, God doesn't answer our what, when, where, and why questions, but get this, he always provides the who answers. That's what the prophet reflects on first. Before he goes into the why, he reflects on who answers, which leads us to our next response. When times get tough, not only are we to go to the Lord, but we're to reflect on who he is. Look at verses 12 through 17. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, 
my God, my Holy One. We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. This is the Babylonians. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So notice while there are several why questions scattered throughout this passage, the prophet has not lost sight of who he is speaking with. Notice what he knows to be true about God here. First, he acknowledges the fact that God is eternal. Look at the first part of verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord? Are you not eternal? Now, no, that's a rhetorical question. The prophet is not allowing these difficult circumstances to cause him to question who God is. He's not asking it in this way. Are you even eternal? He's not saying that. He's saying, you are from everlasting, O Lord. In difficult times, Habakkuk needed to be reminded of this wonderful truth, and we do as well. When tough times come, there is nothing more comforting, more consoling than to stand on this truth that our Lord is from everlasting, that he exists outside of and overruling over this broken, fallen, sin-stained world. Before the beginning began, he was. When he created all that is and put his stamp of approval on it, he was there. And he was there when man sinned against him and the fall came and sin came into this world. He is here today and folks, he is going to be here long after when this broken world is made right and his fallen people are restored once again. He is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Moses says in Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his commentary on Habakkuk. Look at this quote up on the screen. There is nothing more consoling or reassuring when oppressed by the problems of history and when wondering what is to happen in the world than to remember that the God whom we worship is outside the flux of history. He has preceded history. He has created history. His throne is above the world and outside time. He reigns in eternity, the everlasting God. Amen. Notice. Not only does Habakkuk recall the fact that God is from everlasting, but he also reminds himself that God is a holy God who is a personal covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Look at verse 12 again. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Now let me ask you this. Would it be good news if God was from everlasting to everlasting? Would it be good news for us and he were not good? holy, covenant-keeping God, a personal God for us. It wouldn't be good for us, would it? Habakkuk reminds himself and us that this God, the one true and living God, that's the word Elohim. 
That's the word used after Yahweh. He is His Holy One. He says, O Yahweh, my Elohim, O Lord, my true God, my Holy One. Now, Bible Study 101 says that we're to look for repeated words. What word is used twice here? The word my. Habakkuk is reminding himself that the God to whom he speaks is his. He belongs to him. Now, how could he be confident of this? Because of God's covenant that he had made with his people. The covenant that he made with Abraham that he repeated to Isaac and Jacob and others. Remember what God said? Let's look at it up on the screen. From another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Habakkuk is reminding himself that his God is a good, righteous, holy, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, which is why he follows with, we shall not die. We shall not die even if many fall at the hands of the Chaldeans, which they do. Habakkuk knows that this will not be their end because of God's promise to his people to bless the nations through them. He knows that while the current southern king may fall, and he does, this will not be the end of the kingdom because of God's promise to David of a king to come who will rule forever. Again, Look at this quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Great commentary, by the way, for you to pick up, a short one on Habakkuk. He says this, Whatever the Chaldean army might do, it could never exterminate Israel because God had given certain promises to Israel which he could never break. This is a great comfort to the prophet and believers. It should be a great comfort to us. God has made a promise to us through his son. Through his son, we have entered into a covenant relationship with the one true and living God. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, we're made right with God. We enter back into our right relationship with him through his son forever. In Christ, believers, we are promised life eternal in the presence of our Lord with him and his people forever. Nothing can take that away. No circumstance can undo that. While we might die physically, death has lost its sting and we will ultimately live though we die in Christ. No matter how bad things get, believers, we can say alongside the prophet, Yahweh is our Elohim, our Holy One in whom we are secure in and through a right relationship with His Son Jesus. We shall not die. Why? Because of who his son is. Because of the great work that he has accomplished on our behalf. Jesus reminds us of it before raising Lazarus to life in John 11, verses 25 through 26. Look at it up on the screen. Great passage. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me, last phrase, shall never die. The 
prophet Habakkuk says, we shall not die. Christ says, through me, by believing in me, trusting in me, you shall never die. We too have that hope in the worst of times. Notice what else the prophet recalls about God. He remembers that God is also a God of judgment. He will not pardon the wicked forever. He will not pardon the Chaldeans ultimately. Look at verse 12 and 13. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. In verse 12, he says, God is holy. And here at the end of verse 12 and end of verse 13, he defines what that means. He says, Lord, because you are holy, you are, here's the definition, necessarily set apart from and set against that which is unholy, that which is wicked. You are set against what is evil. Your judgment is coming down on those who are opposed to you. Verse 13, you are of pure eyes than to see evil. You cannot look at wrong. That is the reason Habakkuk was questioning God, by the way, in the first place. Habakkuk, knowing God is this way, was wondering how long his holy God was going to allow for the wickedness of his people to go unpunished. And now he learns that God are gonna, God's going to use a a worse people than his to punish his own. And so Habakkuk appeals to God's holiness again before he asks the question. Verse 13, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? Again, tough question that Habakkuk is bringing to God. First it was, why are you putting up with us, God? And God answers, I'm going to take care of you with the Chaldeans. And the next question is, why are you going to use them to punish us? They're, they're worse than us. Why would you sit quietly and allow for these traitors to swallow us up when they are worse? And he doesn't stop there. Habakkuk then goes on and on about what he knows to be true of the Chaldeans. He tells God, look at it, verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with the hook. He drags them out of his, with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Habakkuk first acknowledged God as creator of everyone. Do you see that? You make all mankind. Again, Habakkuk knows the Chaldeans are no match for creator God. He's got a gigantic view of God. He knows God can wipe this army out without any effort at all. He is creator. He's simply trying to make sense of why God would not wipe them out. He's trying to make sense of why God would allow for them to remain. He says, God, you create mankind like the fish of the sea. Now, think about that for a moment. Think about the number of fish in the sea. The crawling things on the earth. That's like mankind on the earth. God has created the, the billions of living things that exist. He has placed them all across the face of the earth. And Habakkuk says, here come the wicked Chaldeans traveling far and wide, gathering up mankind like a fisherman gathers up the fish of the sea. He, that's the Babylonian army, 
brings all of them up with the hook. He drags them out with his net and gathers them in his drag net. This wicked army is traveling far and wide, destroying peoples and nations, and they're rejoicing about it. He says he rejoices and is glad. And notice what else the prophet reminds God of, as if God needs reminding. Habakkuk says, instead of bringing glory to God for their victories, this wicked army worships its own strength. Look at verse 16 and 17. He says, therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk says this wicked army is conquering nation after nation and is swelling with pride about it and praising his own might for his abundant wealth and provisions. And Habakkuk asks, are you just going to allow for this to continue? Is this wicked, godless, proud, violent, ungrateful, merciless people going to be allowed just to continue to destroy nations forever? Again, tough questions. Not for God, but for this prophet of God. And I think that he might already know the answer. If not, he's going to learn it before this book ends. But notice, this is so important. His answer is ultimately found in the great who statements that he gives at the beginning of this passage. Though he doesn't know the ins and outs of exactly how God is going to work in this situation, he knows who God is. He knows that God is a holy, everlasting, personal, covenant-keeping God who is set against sin and will ultimately judge the wicked. When tough times come, when circumstances are uncertain, when the storms of this life hit, are you receiving answers of who God is from His Word? Are you searching his word for answers on who he is like the prophet? Are you reflecting on who God is? Are you resting in these awesome and unchanging truths? In your study guide this week, you're going to be challenged to bring any difficulties you might be having before the Lord, and you're going to be asked to go back through this list the prophet has provided here on who God is. When tough times come your way, when your circumstances are uncertain, you're to remind yourself that God is a holy, everlasting, personal, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who pardons the repentant and is set against sin and will ultimately judge the wicked. Let me ask you something. Is there any problem in life that is not ultimately resolved in knowing these truths about God? Is there any problem in life that is ultimately not resolved in, in knowing that God is a holy God from everlasting to everlasting, a personal covenant-keeping God who secures His people permanently through the person and work of His Son, Jesus, and who will ultimately judge those set against Him in sin? Take time this week to praise God for who He is and the great hope 
that these truths bring. Third response, when times get tough, not only are we to go to the Lord and reflect on who he is, but we are also to wait on him in faith. Wait on the Lord in faith. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. The prophet says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So notice here the prophet gives an illustration of a watchman standing at a watch post. I don't believe Habakkuk is talking literally about going here and climbing up into a watch post to wait for God's response. He, he speaks figuratively uh, scattered throughout this book, and I believe he is so here. I believe he's giving an illustration showing how he is going to be alone with his thoughts and with his God, and he is going to anxiously and eagerly wait for God's response. Habakkuk has brought his concerns before God. He has made his issue known to God, and now he is going to stand and watch and wait for him to answer like a watchman at a watch post. In this day, they would station these towers in the cities to be on the lookout. They would put watchmen in these towers to be on the, the lookout for the enemy approaching because it was very, very dangerous beyond the fortified walls of the cities in this day. So these watchmen would stand and watch and wait, ready to sound the alarm when danger was near. And Habakkuk, he, he explains here that that is his posture when he is waiting for God to answer his concerns, his response here. It, it reminds me of, of what John read earlier in Psalm 130 where the psalmist is crying out to God. He's making a plea to him for mercy and in the midst of that psalm, as the psalmist waits on God's response, he says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. That is what it looks like to wait on the Lord in faith. And notice what else Habakkuk says. He says, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I believe the prophet feels here as if he's going to be set straight by God concerning his questions that he's been asking. He, he says, I, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to wait on your response and think about how I'm going to respond when you, oh God, put me in my place. He's expecting to be corrected. He's anticipating being humbled by God's answer. Why? Because he reveres God. While he's been questioning God's providence and his justice, Habakkuk knows God's ways are perfect. He knows God's justice is fair and sure. He is just confused at God's delayed response and the way in which he is choosing to respond. At times, God responds in ways we would not. We talked about that last week. At times, his providence is disturbing. It's troubling. I mean, think about the cross. None of his disciples thought the cross was a good idea. None of Christ's disciples did. 
They thought it was unfathomable for Christ to die at, at Calvary. They didn't understand the way God was at work in salvation. God works in ways that are different from ours. His ways are mysterious. Faith is doing what the prophet does here. It's believing God and trusting in Him when it's hard, when it doesn't make sense, when we don't understand. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, I don't understand why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with, why I have to go through what I have to go through. I don't know why you're allowing this to happen, but I trust that your ways are higher than mine, greater than mine, and I trust you. That's faith. That's faith. That's the prophet Habakkuk's response. I believe this might have also been what William Cowper was dealing with when he wrote these famous words. Look at them up on the screen. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. I love this. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Maybe you're here this morning and you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, but you're in a dark and difficult place right now, and you're having a difficult time making heads or tails of the storm you're going through. I want to encourage you today, this morning, to respond like the prophet Habakkuk. Go to the Lord, think deeply on who he is and what he's done for you, and stand and wait for him to work in faith. Bring your most difficult questions before him and get this, leave them there. Boy, that's hard to do. I need help with this. We need to work on this together. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. Look at this quote. We're almost finished. But this is worth sharing with you. This is convicting. Nothing so shows the character of our faith as our conduct and attitude after we have prayed. Let me read it again. Nothing so shows the character of our faith as our conduct and attitude after we have prayed. People of faith bring their troubles before the Lord and they leave them there. And they trust in faith that God's will and his ways are perfect. Do not judge the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace and know that behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Maybe you're here this morning, you know nothing of that. You don't know of the hope with which I'm speaking because you're not trusting in God's Son alone for salvation. You've not laid hold of this great work of salvation that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. If I'm speaking to you, listen, you can have this hope today. You can have an unwavering hope in the midst of despair, lasting joy in the midst of sadness through faith alone in God's Son, Christ Jesus alone.
by forsaking your sin and bowing the knee to King Jesus today. If you have not made that decision, I urge you to do so today before you leave here. Let's pray together.